It's your boy, Steve Skaggs. I'm here with Ethan Menz and Hulk Hogan, brother. And we're listening to the Mighty Mighty Marston House podcast with Tim Lawson. Swing gon' stab right into the spotlight there. Give me some burn on my face. We took it from the black right into the top right there. And we did it out in your face. You know they gon' love it. Yo, what's going on, everybody? This is Tim Lawson, and you are listening to Mighty Mighty Marston House on Blog Talk Radio or iTunes or whatever your preferred listening library is. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week, proud to bring on Mega Ran. If you're familiar with him, it's probably due to his video game-inspired beats and sounds and lyrics, uh, but he also has a much deeper and serious side, and I'm going to get into some of his lyrics that touch on uh, racism and the importance of raising a child and just it's just some, some pretty deep stuff, but of course, we touch on some of the nerd aspects as well. I know that you're really going to enjoy this interview. If you're not familiar with his music, you're going to listen to this interview and you're going to want to listen to more of it, I'm sure. So soundcloud.com slash music, M-E-G-A-R-A-N music. Uh, it, you know that's that's where you're going to want to go to listen to, to get a good sample of his library. And of course, we mentioned other uh, his links in the in the interview. So uh, take a look at that. Marston House just dropped a new cipher. It's called the Double Feature Cipher, uh, aptly named since it is uh, two ciphers back to back. So um, go to YouTube.com/slash Marston X House to watch the video on that cipher, or you can wait on Thursday. Uh, the Mar- the MP3 version, the audio version of the cipher will be released into uh, the podcast feed. So if you're subscribed to iTunes, it'll automatically get updated to your library, and you can take it around with you and jam as you please. LostInEntertainment.com is where the rest of our productions are, other podcasts that you may enjoy. Check that out as well. Thank you so much for listening and, and taking the time to listen to my interviews with these MCs. I'm getting a lot of great feedback on it. Let me know who you want to hear from. I'm at TimLawson21 on Twitter. Just tweet at me. Be like, hey, I want to hear from so-and-so. We'll do our, the best we can to get them on the show. Enjoy. You know they gonna love it. All right, everybody. We are back, and I'm very excited about this week's guest. I'm I'm actually new to his material, but I've consumed so much of it just in the past 24 to 48 hours uh, that I feel like I'm familiar with most of his library. Uh, Mega Ran is on the show. Sir, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Tim. I appreciate it. You're a name that I was aware of um, up until Steve Skax uh, at Marson House made the introduction. He praised you and, and said that you'd be a great uh, interview for the show, so... I quickly uh, followed suit. We got in contact. I listened to a bunch of your material, and I can see why you're growing in popularity, man. It's really great content. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. So the the start for everybody has to be, when did you get into hip-hop? When What got you attracted to the culture? Was it a song? Was it someone breakdancing? What got Raheem Jarbo into hip-hop? Oh, man. I can remember it being a combination of a song and the culture. Um, I lived, I was born and raised in Philadelphia in the uh, West Oak Lane section. And there was a gentleman on my street who would come up and down the block every day with a a big boom box, the big ghetto blaster boom box that takes like 78 D batteries. (laughs) And and he would be blasting. um, It takes two. 
by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. And he would constantly be blasting that. And um, and I just thought the music was just so dope. I was like, what is that? And at the same time, he was immersed in the hip hop style. I mean, he had a, you know, a fat gold chain. He had like some really cool uh, shell toe Adidas. He had some gazelle shades. He had like in the, I don't know if it was like MCM or Todd One, maybe like sweatsuit jacket or something cool like that. I mean, it was it was just down to the socks. It was straight. It was hip hop all day. So, is this a story from your childhood, or is this a scene from Breaking? <laughs> it seems like <laughs> it, but uh, it's totally my childhood. Um, the crazy part about it is there was a um, a uh, crack house. Uh, there's really no other nice way to say that uh, on my street, where all these you know drug dealers and things would uh, would hang out and conduct business. And this guy was, I guess, the main drug dealer, so he would always be up and down the street and in and out of the house. So we knew he was into some some bad things, but we also knew that he had like the, just the flyest style, you know, and he was the coolest kid. And so that was my first, uh, I would say that would had to be my first exposure to the culture. And um, it was the just the, the huge sound of the music, the colorful, you know, uh, nature of the clothes and style. And it was all at the same time. And he also was a, a b-boy and a breakdancer. So that was what got me into it initially. It was just seeing that. And uh, just seeing the, the just, I don't know, the flashiness and the just the the originality of the style it was nothing like I'd ever seen before. That was definitely my first exposure. That's interesting <laughs> that it's uh, such a classic song that was uh, brought to you by the local local drug dealer. Oh, seriously. <laughs> oh, I, I think that's uh, it. It now removed itself from being a scene at a break-in and was maybe the '80s or '80s version of Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Break it. Uh, I like it. So when when do you start rapping then? You know, uh, you know how how long how much exposure did you have to the into the game before you start playing around with wordplay and rhymes? Oh, it was definitely a lot of years. Um, that was that had to be late '80s when that happened. I didn't get into about till about mid '90s, and I was just collecting rap tapes. And, you know, making my own mixtapes. You know. Uh, stop and pause tapes from off stuff off the radio or my friends tapes and I think it was yeah it had to be about six or seven years later um, but uh, my main influence probably was uh, LL Cool J after that because LL had a, a huge catalog and he had such versatility and he also had the hip-hop style that uh, that all the kids craved and and he got girls so that was cool too but um and he also <laughs> he talked about important stuff every once in a while as well so I felt like his versatility is what inspired me. And, and one day, and I think it was 94 or 95, sitting on my mother's stoop with all my friends, we all said, hey, let's write a rap song. And that was what we did. We all sat and we wrote. And uh, mine was terrible, but uh, it's what kept me going was to try to constantly be as good, if not better, than the rest of my friends who I thought had, like, just dusted me in it. But... um. But looking back now, I'm the only one's kind of still doing it, and no one else really is. Yeah. So you go, you you're most well known now as Mega Rand, but you've also gone by Random. Yes. Um, tell me, how did these names, uh, you know, how did you get the name Random, and then how did you then become Mega Rand? Well, I thought um, actually it was all inspired by a comic book. Um, in the 90s, there's a 
really great comic called X Factor, which was like a spinoff of the X-Men. And one issue, a guy popped up named Random, and he was, uh, he was a huge guy, and he was able to transform himself into matter. And uh, he was, and so that was then, he was able to shapeshift. And I thought, this is awesome, because that's what I want to be able to do with music, is shapeshift, you know, make something that can make you smile, make something that can make you cry, make something that make you get up and dance, make something that, you, that make you think a little bit. So that was where the random name came from. And I used that for up until this year, I'd say. So at least for 20 years, just on, on as a, either just as a for fun street thing. But then um, once I released my first album in 2006, it was as random. Uh, it's called The Call. It was a very um, kind of socio-political, spiritual journey through my life up until that point. And um, after I released that album, I was, I was pretty drained. Like, I just didn't want to create anymore because I had totally exposed myself. And so I felt like I needed to to get back to my innocence. And uh, so I started playing video games again. And so in the year leading up to the next release, I didn't know what it was going to be that. But one day I was just playing Mega Man. And I heard some really cool tunes. And I thought, man, what if some hip-hop tracks could go on top of this some and so i just started working and thinking of things in my head and uh i created mega man hip-hop beats and then i started writing rhymes to those that would be from the perspective of mega man and so that was where mega ran was born and uh my idea from then on was that random would be the guy who rapped about real life situations and um just real life you know music and uh, Mega Ran would be my alter ego that would, you know, only kind of keep it drenched in fantasy and uh, just talk about the fun parts of life and things like that. And um, eventually, uh, the name Mega Ran became me uh, because of the popularity of the album. Uh, people then thought that an album that was named Mega Ran became the artist name Mega Ran. And, uh, and so the name then wrapped around me. And uh, it just kind of stuck with me. So it became Random, a.k.a. Mega Ran. And uh, I just felt like as an indie musician, it's way too too much to add an a.k.a. and try to live two separate lives and careers. And, right. And with the word random being such a non-Google-friendly term, um, it's, it's more behooving to me to drop random and uh, go with a name that can be easily recognized and remembered and uh, shows up in Google. So Mega Ran has been what I've released music under since 2014, and uh, that's what I'll continue to do going forward. Random's still there, but not in name because it's just not smart to try to maintain two careers. Right, right, right. Point. I remember it's always funny when you listen to to artists and it's like at the beginning of the track when they're like when they're announcing themselves and it's like MC so and so AKA that dude AKA round the block AKA, and it's just like well, how how many how many names do you have I don't know I don't know you by any of these names like you're not marketing very well <laughs> right <laughs> so let's continue laying the foundation for any listeners that aren't familiar with Mega Ran um, when did you so then you you said you started rapping uh in the mid 90s yeah when did you notice that your talent took a leap when you really noticed that jump in talent we're like oh man i i'm actually getting i'm getting much better at this hmm. um i didn't know until people started telling me i had more and more people uh complimenting me or asking me to play shows 
And I think that's when anybody knows when things are happening is when other people decide to get involved or to compliment you. Because if you're not going around fishing and looking for those compliments, rather. And so I began just getting more and more offers to play shows. I wasn't recording music in the 90s. I was just freestyling, just, you know, going to open mics and just having fun. And then in the mid-2000s is when I got a job in the studio and started recording myself. And I was pretty much discouraged because I never thought that anybody would want to listen to the kind of music I was making because it was positive, you know, it was fun, it was upbeat. And this is a time in the early to mid-2000s when uh, Philadelphia was heavily influenced by uh, Jay-Z and uh, Rockefeller Records uh, due to the fact that Jay-Z was signing a lot of guys that were from Philadelphia. Right. So we, when you had Beanie Siegel, Freeway, Young Guns, Petey Craig, like so many uh, Philly guys. So that became the Philly sound. Like you had to sound like those guys or you just, it didn't matter. And uh, and I didn't. And so I never thought anybody would want to listen to my music. So in secret, while I was at the studio, I'd record my demos. And they were only for me and my friends. Like I didn't think anybody would want to hear it. And one day I passed it to a friend and a friend passed it to another friend. And he said, man, this is tight. Like you got some really cool ideas here, you know, with a little bit of, uh, you know, polish, you could turn this into a really cool album. And so since then, uh, I started working with a gentleman by the name of O'Henny, who uh, ran a label called Rom Nation. And he introduced me to a bunch of producers and artists. And uh, we all collaborated and I created my first album from that. So that was kind of the story of that. Yeah. Very cool. And, and, Tell us about your creative process, and we'll use this sort of as a segue into um, the the part of you. Uh, we're going to touch on two parts of you as an artist: One, the the nerd part, and then the you know you said random. You know, it can can create almost almost anything. I have some serious lyrics that you've put out that I also want to delve into. Ah. Um, so as a segue into that, let's talk about your creative process. Um, you do a lot of music that is about video games and comics and anything that's in that nerd realm if you will and then you you know you address a lot of social issues you have very serious lyrics as well so tell us about your creative process how certain songs get inspired by what do you start with a beat do you start with lyrics how do you go about that well it all depends really a lot of times it starts with lyrics or something i read i may read a book or read a poem or watch the news and then i'll just jot something down in the margin and then I come back to that in a couple of days and I start to form phrases and things around that. And then next thing you know, I have a full verse. And at times I don't even necessarily have a beat in mind. So then I'll listen to maybe another way is I'll hear a song you know, on the radio or somewhere and it has a really cool beat. And so I start thinking of ideas to write to that particular beat. And then I go to my own home and get on the machine or or any sort of beat-making uh, software that I use, and try to recreate a track that's similar to that beat and then give it to another friend of mine, a producer or uh, engineer, and then we work on changing it and making that track you know, mine and an individual track instead of a, a clone. And so it starts with a skeleton uh, based on maybe an existing work, and then we build from there and build on and build on. So it really depends. I mean, the last song I wrote, I wrote on a plane coming back from London like three days ago. And 
and it was some of the coolest stuff I had ever, you know, thought of. But it, it had no, I don't really know where it came from, you know. It was just, it just came out, you know. There wasn't a particular piece of anything that inspired it. It was just time to talk about that particular thing, I guess. So Interesting. So it really depends, you know. I, I can't say yeah. there's one way for me to make music. It, it all just changes so much. Right, and I don't want to. I don't want to say that you're only that you can only be one of two people, you know, the nerd and the serious rapper. But when when comparing those two specifically, which, like, so if you're doing a song inspired by video games and you're doing a, a song inspired by social issues, maybe which one do you think takes the longest to, you know, which one's getting more energy out of you? Uh, well, definitely the serious stuff is where most of my energy would go. Uh, and like I said, when I do serious stuff, it's kind of draining sometimes. It's like, especially when I'm, I see something and it gets me angry or something like that. I mean, just this morning, I uh, came back in town and heard about this Charleston, South Carolina, like mass murder going on out there. And so things like that will just get me so angry. So if I was in that process of writing about something like that, it would get me to the point where I would just be enraged and then... I would need some time to decompress. It's almost like the Incredible Hulk. I hate to make a, a comic reference, but, but you know, when the Incredible Hulk is finished smashing, you know, he's back to himself, and he's, like, cold and naked and, and like, shy and, and, like, embarrassed by what he did. And that's yeah. that's almost me in the creative process, you know. It's it's a, it's a Incredible Hulk, Bruce Banner kind of thing. Well, you, you know, you brought up the, the incident in Charleston, and I think that's uh, the best cue to get into the lyrics that I have set up um, that I want to talk about. And the first one really addresses it, really ties into this. Uh, comes out of your track, Out, Outrun the Sun. I think about the day I'm explaining it to my kids that they see you as a threat and it ain't what you did. Follow every direction. You know, that really, that really stuck out to me because that's, you know, I've, I've been one to recognize the, the, um, the, fortunate uh circumstance that i'm in of being a heterosexual white male in america mm. and this is something that you know i i can't wrap my head around you know because i'll never have to experience that and you know when you when you wrote this uh wrote that lyric and you know what did you have in mind like what what was going on at the time that really made you realize that uh you know your kids are going to be at a disadvantage um, at least currently, maybe, you know, maybe in the future it won't be as, as, as bad, but you know, what was going on? It made you realize they're going to be a disadvantage simply because of the race, man. I mean, the past, uh, 300 days or so in, in American news history has, has basically kind of reaffirmed that for me. And it was something that, you know, it's been a bit of a wake up call. Like I went through college and I was an African-American studies major and we talked about a lot of the you know, social injustice and things that had happened to African-Americans throughout history. But I feel like we got to a point where we were kind of lulled to sleep, you know, when things things started going a little better, at least from what we had uh, thought, you know, as far as what was being reported anyway. Um, you know, Obama got into office. We're like, hey, you know, racism's over. Yay. You know, <laughs> and so. Everybody kinda, so I don't mean to laugh, but it's 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 funny how everybody, there there was that commentary like was spread across a lot of social issues. Like, oh, Obama's in, we're good. Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the whole term of post-racial America and things like that began to to pop up, and I think that we 
especially myself. I can't speak for anybody else, but I was completely like lulled to sleep by a lot of that that talk. And uh, and it made me not think about either the past or even things that were happening in the present that weren't getting a lot of a lot of news coverage. And so once things like Ferguson and uh, Baltimore uh, started popping up and becoming regular occurrences almost, um, it just really started to make me think like if I have a child, you know, I owe it to that child to tell them that people are going to be, you know, threatened or feel threatened by you even if you're the most harmless person there is, you know, I'm a, I'm a big African-American male. And so I'm a very scary person, although I haven't gotten into a fight since the second grade, you know, and um, it's something that, and I guess I don't, I don't want it to affect the way people would uh, react or respond to people, but I would just want to make sure that's always in your, in the back of your mind so that when things do occur, you know, you're not completely surprised and taken aback you know, like like the rest of America is when the Charleston things happen or, or things like that. Like, wait, what happened? I thought we were a racial utopia. Like, this is, wait, this is so odd. And then, you know, having to go back into history and, and locate all sorts of uh, things that have happened just like this. So I think it was a frustration of a lot of those situations that led to me saying that. And I have a lot of friends who are parents and they say that, and they're like, man, I have to talk to, or, or saying that I'm scared to raise a black man in this world. You know, and when, when I hear things like that, it just touches me, it hits me so hard that it makes me realize that if I ever have to be in those, in that situation, it's, it's going to have, it's going to be a really tough, tough climb. And, uh, but I think we as adults, especially anyone as a parent, owes it to their, their kids to tell them you know, what, what it is so that, you know, they're not walking around with the blinders on that, that we've had for so many years. Right. Another track, um, that goes back a little while longer, uh, called save the world, Mm. uh, where you use the, the, the sample from the Swedish house mafia song of the same title. Um. Yeah. Well. Hey. Mm-hmm. Well. You know. I. I got an ear for good. Good lyrics. <laughs> um. You know. I. I listen. You know. I listen to probably at, at least a dozen to a dozen and a half different songs uh, of yours intently. Like uh, there's a bunch in the background, but there's about twelve to uh, fifteen of them that I like really listen to. And these two. You know. The the one from Outrun the Sun and then this one really stuck out to me the most is not only addressing something that's very important but it sounded like there was more behind it and i know that you have a hit you've you've been a teacher before correct so you know you know the impact that can have um i'm interested also to know why you included um you know so if you're teaching in class there was definitely a personal resonation there mm-hmm. uh but what about the raising a girl why why um you know why is that significant well it's totally significant especially in today's world i feel like going through all these things that um you know it's it's funny that you mentioned one song about raising a boy and another song about raising a girl because mm-hmm. uh i feel like so much of uh gender roles and identity has become such a big thing in our culture and society and um i feel like that one was timed about the same it was around the same time period when i wrote that was when the um 
the girl had made uh, a lot of waves on like social media for walking through New York and being like catcalled by like a hundred dudes. Uh, oh yeah, do you remember that? And um, and I felt like things like that, you know, is was definitely um, it, it it surely inspired me to say things like that. And I think that I do believe that raising a a woman in today's society to uh, to not only uh, to, to mainly to break through the societal uh, stigma that's been placed on on her in order to get out there and become great and uh, and do great things and inspire people. Um, I think that being a girl is the hardest thing in the world, man. So honestly, you know, from catcalling to just pl- just in general, from guys just not knowing how to conduct themselves socially, I, I feel for women. You know, I talk to them all the time. And uh, and then the stories they tell me, it just it stops me in my tracks. I'm like, wow, I feel so bad for you. Like, I, yeah. you know, because guys are just not very nice, you know. And it's from the smallest thing, from like being a gentleman to just, you know, all sorts of mistreatment that goes on. And then working it up structurally through the ladder and, and corporate America and, and in the workforce where women make significantly less than men for doing the same amount of work. I just feel like. It takes it would take everything in a good parent to uh, to raise a woman who doesn't just completely explode or you know or or give up in today's world. You know, it's there's so much stacked against you that I feel like you know it takes it takes the absolute best parent to to raise a woman that will uh, that will get through this society and, and make an impact. And so that person that can raise that woman to go out and do great things is a, is a superhero. You know, I like that. That's a really good answer. Thanks. I think, you know, catcalling is another thing that I don't, it's something I only know about in, by, by, by stories, right? Cause what's, um, what's cowardly about catcalling is it doesn't occur when there's a male, another male with the female, right? Like right. when I'm walking around with my girlfriend, guys don't catcall my girlfriend. Right. And so it's something that I don't even I don't witness, and I definitely don't experience it. If I did, I don't know how to, I don't know how I'd feel if I got catcalled by either gender. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure it'd be just as uncomfortable as it is, uh, you know, when, when women have to experience it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's another thing that it's I don't know what to do about catcalling, like as a bystander, because I don't see it to try to stop it. Yeah. And I don't experience it to know what the resolution is, other than trying to tell my friends that. It's really, I'm really glad that that there are, are women like the one in New York that are that are taking their own stand and pushing back against it because, you know, guys like you and me who are like I said aren't around to see it or stop it or whatever. Like there's we're sort of powerless. Yeah. In that, you know, um, and I think that your point in, you know, being able to raise a girl that you know can. Uh, that can push against those sorts of actions. You know, you're re- you're saving the world in the sense that uh, you know that woman can lead so many other uh, women like her to do the same thing. Absolutely, man. So let's uh, let's get into the nerdy part of Mega Ran. All right. You're. Uh, I saw you tweeting from E3 last night or yesterday. Yes. You know what? You know what? Uh, what announcement has you most excited? I mean, I have my guesses, but I want to hear from you. Uh, what what announcement got you the most excited? Oh come on! It's the Final Fantasy VII remake. Like <laughs> no question. Like I I literally got goosebumps watching the trailer, and 
a video game hasn't done that to me since the first, you know, release of Final Fantasy VII. So, uh, man, I got completely beside myself. Like, I am so excited about it. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff, though, but um, but that was that, that took the cake, man, for sure. Yeah. So are we going to see a Black Materia remake to celebrate the Final Fantasy VII remake? Actually, there's been a Black Materia remake in the works for five years now. No, maybe not five years, but about two at least. Um, and so I didn't know that they were going to re-release this at all. And so I didn't have any insider info. I was just working on a, on a re-release on vinyl. And, um, Interesting. And the vinyl release, though, it takes so many things to make it work. And uh, all those things cost a lot of money. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a long record. So, therefore, it needs to be uh, a double LP. Um, yeah. The stuff needs to be remastered for vinyl. Um, I I recorded that album a long time ago in my closet. So, I would need to re-record a lot of the vocals. As well as... Um, Due to copyright uh, stuff, a lot of that stuff can't be on a record if it was sampled by another sample from another source. And all the tracks on there were sampled, and then there was stuff that was played over them. So those tracks need to be replayed uh, individually by an individual musician. So we're working on that. We actually have the songs replayed now. I just need to re-record the vocals and then get some really cool art ideas going and then put it in the queue for it to be created. So it's it's anywhere from a six to ten month process. Right. So so it's in the works because it has been for a, long, a very long time, but it's just super yeah. expensive. It's uh it's pretty cool how that sort of has worked out though. How that you know w- while you're in maybe the home stretch year of maybe getting this this thing out they make the announcement of remaking the game that inspired the project altogether yeah it's pretty amazing um i think the timing is is so right like it's just it's just a, it was a perfect storm what uh so what are you playing right now um wow i'm playing mortal kombat uh and uh, destiny uh i have an xbox one so i've been looking forward to some news that just came out that um that the Xbox One will be backwards compatible and it'll play three sixty games because there's a couple of games on three sixty that I missed and now with the announcement of Fallout four, I need to play Fallout three. And so I'm really looking forward to playing that and kind of catching up a little bit. But uh I pick up a free whatever's free on Xbox Live I usually play just to keep myself going. Uh yeah. but you know I've been I've been out of the out of the loop a little bit because I've been traveling so much. But I'm waiting for this Batman, this new Arkham. I am so ready for that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, a question that we got from the listeners. Um, do you know who the most famous person you listen to is? Like, have you have you heard from any celebrity or from anybody that you truly admire comment on, on your music? The most famous person. Wow. That is insane. Um but if I think about it, there are a few. Um, let's see. Uh, but one that I really was a huge fan of who listened to me. Um, okay. This person, um, I would say, is a guy named Bear McCrary. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, Bear McCrary is an amazing composer who's done music to some of my favorite shows like Battlestar Galactica, uh, and most recently, The Walking Dead. 
Uh, he does all the music in the background for Walking Dead. Um, I met him at Comic-Con a few years ago because due to, I guess, a time crunch, uh, I was supposed to have a meeting with Capcom and um, and get on their podcast. And due to a time crunch, they had to combine me with another person. And so the person they combined me with for the interview was Barry McCrary, who I was a huge fan of. And so we sit down next to each other, and we never met. And he's like, oh, shoot, you're Mega Ran. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, I listen to your music all the time. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> That's pretty no cool. No way, man. And so he started telling me about specific songs he loves and what he loves about the, the production and arrangement. And, man, that was a pretty surreal experience. And um, I had this similar thing happen just two days ago at E3 when I ran into Cisco <laughs> of the group Drew Hill which was pretty crazy because he was doing an interview and I just walked by and I heard him say, yo, that's Mega Ran. And like, I'm like, wait, why is he, why does he know my name? This is, <laughs> this is so weird. You start to wonder if that's actually Cisco. Like, oh, I guess that's not Cisco. Maybe it's not Cisco. <laughs> but he's like, Mega Ran, come here, come here. And so he like pulls me into the interview, into the camera. And I'm just like, what's happening right now? And uh, they're like, hey, Mega Ran, say something. And I'm like, uh, Hi, <laughs> I just did not know what was happening. So then afterwards, he's like, "Dude, I listen to your song Dream Master all the time. Oh my god, my kids play it. They love it." He's like, "They think it's my song, but but uh, I'm just so I was like I'm so such a fan." And I was like, "Wait, what? This is what's happening right now." So so I got a couple of things like that that have been happening in the last few years. Um, I met Will Wheaton, who also told me he was a fan, and that was that was cool and a bit of a cool. a nerd uh, a nerd point there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So yeah, I don't I don't know I don't have a, a lot of those, but the ones that I do are usually like big people that are really big and influential in my life, which is cool. Right. So which which games? Uh, we'll do like a short light, lightning round to get a quick few questions in, and then we'll wrap up and, and introduce a feature track on the show. Okay. Um, which game would you want to be, maybe not a game, which franchise would you want to be incorporated into? If they made a Mega Ran character, mm. which franchise would it be put into? Mm. Or game? Uh, well, the ultimate dream would be the Mega Man games. Like if I could right. be like a palette swap character, like a, a player two or a, or a guy who just pops up to help Mega Man, I think that would be cool. Or if they put me in in like a cool enemy category or something and made me like this a new foe or for Mega Man or something. But um yeah, it would have to be Mega Man. That's my first pick. Which uh which video game character would make a dope rapper? Oh <laughs> uh, wow. That's a good one. Let me think. Um huh, I would say Barrett Barrett Wallace of Final Fantasy Seven because he's a he's a badass and uh I definitely think he he'd make a dope rapper. <laughs> which uh which you know now that we got the final fantasy 7 remake uh what game from your childhood maybe maybe everything up until maybe the playstation 2 do you think warrants a remake parappa the rapper parappa the rapper <laughs> heck yeah <laughs> no that'd be awesome yes i'm so ready that needs to happen like yesterday and then you know you're you know, you got the attention of Cisco and other people. Uh, but if you could, if you could bring on anybody, if I had, if I could get any MC in the world to come be on a on a Mega Ran track, who do you want to be? Who do you want featured on one of your songs? MF Doom. 
No question. MF Doom. That's a good answer. Mm-hmm. That's that's no one I would have uh, anticipated. That's a uh, good answer. I've, MF Doom. I've given that a lot of thought. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. Well, Mega Rant. It's it's been a real pleasure talking to you both. On uh, you know about some about your your lyrical content, your process, and if, you know what's what's going on in your video game life. I really appreciate you joining me. Oh man, thank you for having me, man. This has been a really fun talk. We got we got serious. We got you know into the nerdy stuff. Right. I like it. We went everywhere. We did. I like to. The point of the show is to create a foundation for the artist, for the new listeners, right? Because I have, there's plenty of people listening that maybe don't know who Mega Ran is. But of course, a lot of your fans are listening, so we get a little deep into your lyrics and satisfy their their uh, craving as well. Awesome. So the the feature track is Dream Master. Before we sign off, you want to lead us into the song? Yeah, Dream Master is probably the Mega Ran introduction, quintessential. Uh, song that that anybody I think should hear first about me. It's the Mega Ranch story in a nutshell. Uh, it's all about me growing up in the city, going on to you know finding a love for video games, and then going on to try to somehow make sense of all of all those things that happen in life. And uh, produced by my good friend Kay Murdoch. And uh, I love it. This is Dream Master. Wonderful, wonderful. Of course, we're following you on Twitter at MegaRan and checking out your music at MegaRanMusic.com. Raheem, it's been a pleasure. I'm Timothy, and on behalf of Steve, Ethan, and the rest of us at Marston House, we'll see you next week. There was a boy in the hood who always did good so the bullies of the block couldn't stand him And on Christmas and birthdays he got mad presents so many he didn't know what to play with He had Transformers, He-Man, Ninja Turtles, but the G.I. Joes was his favorite He was so creative that if they didn't make the toy he liked decided to create it He put Storm Shadow's legs on Snake Eye's body till they popped and then he duct taped it he made spaceships while the big kids hung out on the block playing hide and seek and riding bikes. They used to try to get involved, but they told him, get lost. And that's when they started getting high at night. Then I heard he made a friend who was as nerdy as him. When he had all that he could withstand, he collected comics and cards, studied, knew the whole Star Wars script like the back of his hand. In his school, he made A's and B's, and teachers complimented his amazing feats. And all the while, he wondered if I'm so amazing, cheese. How come nobody won't play with me? Understatement. He had high water pants, coke bottle frames, and a mouth full of orthodontic braces. First girlfriend was named Christina Perez. He took her everywhere. Now the boy's so cool, but she dated him on a dare and left him standing there without a clue. Man, kids can be so cruel. Guess what? People couldn't like the boy any less. 
around the same time, shorty got an NES. Cause his mama felt this was the best way to keep him out of the streets So though they was penniless Only child so she didn't want an empty nest And it's a healthier addiction than cigarettes And so it began How did he escape the scene? He sat in front of that screen and chased his dreams Part of the story comes at the end, but that part hasn't been written yet. 